Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It happened when I was about eight years old. I was with some friends at Prim, Nevada, which in those days was called State Line. And there at Buffalo Bills was a huge roller coaster called Desperado. Some of you have probably been on it. At the time it was built, Desperado was the tallest roller coaster in the world. Somebody talked me into going on it. I'd never been on a roller coaster before, let alone the tallest one in the world. We began slowly making our way up a steep incline. Off to one side, you could see the whole Las Vegas Strip. Then we got to the top. Suddenly, everything changed. Chaos and confusion broke loose. So did a whole lot of screaming. Within a few seconds, we went from a ride that was calm and enjoyable to one that was frantic, unsettling, and very, very loud. Our life is a lot like a roller coaster, when it comes to money especially. How many times have we been on easy street? We just got a raise, an inheritance, or a financial break, and it's smooth sailing, but then we start heading down, 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 doobie-doo, down, down. A medical bill shows up. A car expense comes out of nowhere. A child goes off to college, and suddenly chaos and confusion break loose. So does a whole lot of screaming Sometimes just internally. Money management is so vital to our lives. That's why for the next three weeks, we are going to be in a series called Parables and Possessions. Parables and Possessions. The parables are in the gospel according to Luke. So let's look at some statistics. 65% of all parables in Luke deal with money and possessions. Did you know that? One out of every six verses in Luke deal with money and possessions. In Luke, Jesus speaks more about money and possessions than he does about heaven and hell. So what's the point? If we don't manage money, money will manage us. Let's begin with our first parable, the parable of the rich fool. The context in Luke 12 Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to a man, Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all greed for one's life. And by the way, life appears in Luke chapter 12, verses 15, 19, 20, 22, 23, and 25. You could argue that this parable is about life. It's a key word in the entire chapter. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In what follows, Jesus becomes a judge over these two brothers, not between them. He judges their hearts, not their pocketbooks. Their brothers have something to learn about money, and so do we. The word for greed here especially in the Greek, is very descriptive. It means something like the unquenchable thirst for having more. It's like children in their Halloween or Easter candy. They always want more. Oh, by the way, have you ever seen these videos that, on Jimmy Kimmel Live where 
They filmed their children the next morning, November 1st, telling them that they ate all of their Halloween candy the night before. And the tears that ensue on these children's faces, you know, we're not really much above that. It doesn't matter what age. They always want more. Yeah, I always think I'm getting away with something when I eat the kids' uh, Kit Kats, but apparently none of the kids like them. Greed in the New Testament context means always wanting more, hoarding things for yourself. This attitude measures life by possessions. That's why Jesus asked, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose or forfeit his own soul? Or in the Greek, suke, his whole life. The contrast here is about true, true poverty. Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man. Note what these texts have to say about the rich. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I know what I'm going to do. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Rather than building additional barns and taking up land that might otherwise be used for agricultural production in subsequent years, this rich man elects to tear down his current storage facilities in order to make room for larger ones. Now, how many of you come from a farm background or context? That's not necessarily a smart idea, is it? Tearing down barns to make bigger ones. Where are you going to put the food in the meantime? This takes great wealth. The general public, especially in, in Jesus' day and for much of the world's history, lives on a subsistence economy. The rich man's decision to withhold his produce brought great hardship on others. Ample space was already available in the mouths of the poor and the needy. Note the times here that the man refers to himself. I mean, really, look in your, look in your bulletin. How many times does this man refer to himself? Anyone have a guess? Fifteen times. It's not even 15 verses here. Fifteen times. The assumption is that God's gifts are personal possessions earned by one's own efforts and therefore at one's own disposal to waste or hoard foolishly. In Luke 15, the shepherd, the woman and the father, you know these parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son. In these parables, they have people to share their joy with when they're returned. They have celebration and joy with their family and friends. The rich man in Luke 12 has nobody to celebrate with. He thinks that the total needs of his total person can be met by material surpluses. The rich man lived alone, planned alone, built alone, indulged alone, and although it doesn't say so how here, it does say that he died alone. Fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. 
fool. God's, how often does God call somebody a fool? Not very often. This very night, your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The term here, demanded or required, is used in, in the Greek language sometimes for the repayment of a loan. It's banking terms. The rich man's soul is on loan from God, and now God wants the loan returned. His goods are alone, so too is his life. Now, I really enjoy saying this, so I hope you're paying attention. Money is like manure. If you spread it around, it makes things grow like fertilizer. But if you pile it up and hoard it, it stinks. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So how do you and I become rich toward God? Last year, I came across an interesting story. It was about a honeymoon disaster. You know, I love this, all this wedding stuff, the bridezillas and honeymoon disasters and all of this stuff. I don't know why. It's like watching a slow train wreck sometimes. You're not supposed to watch, but you just can't look away. The newlyweds arrived at their hotel and found that their honeymoon suite was about the size of a closet. It had no view, a small bathroom, and just a fold-out sofa. The next morning, the sore-necked groom stormed down to the manager's desk and vented his anger. And the clerk asked, did you open the door to your room? The groom returned to the room only to open the door to what he thought was a closet. It opened up into a huge room complete with fruit baskets and flowers and chocolates. They thought that little door was to a closet. In reality, they spent the whole night in the entry. (laughs) How often do we live this way? There's a whole whole room of abundance just on the other side of that door. This is why Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Our Father is exceedingly rich toward us. Luke is clear on that all the way through, tracked through the gospel. In Luke 2, verse 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. At age 12, Jesus asked his parents, Did you not know that I must be about the things of my father? The impersonal verb here, I must, in this translation, appears in our Lord's passion prediction, I must, as well as in the Easter proclamations. The father's will, along with our Savior's love, compelled him to turn his face toward Jerusalem, which Luke says in chapter 9, verse 51 From there on, Luke says, his face was set toward Jerusalem, where he would be betrayed, arrested, slandered, spit upon, scourged, and crucified. But death could not hold him, the grave could not keep him. Through Christ's death and resurrection, the Father gives us his whole entire kingdom. And what a kingdom it is! We are exceedingly rich. Open up the door. (laughs) That's not a closet. Open up that door and enter in to a life of abundance of baptismal promises 
Eucharistic joy and gospel power, the power to overcome death itself. We are rich towards God because he is first rich toward us. Is he ever? Are you tired of the yelling and the screaming and the ups and downs and the constant stress that comes with a misunderstanding of money? It is time to get off of the roller coaster. And how does that happen? Open that little door and meet your generous God again, maybe even for the first time. The God who gives all of life and life's resources abundantly for you. Amen. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all of our understanding keep your hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior, our generous God and giver, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, In conjunction with our sermon for the next three weeks, we're all going to sing a short.